Well, please have Isaiah 35 open in front of you. And I don't know about you, but whenever I come to a passage like this in the Scriptures, one of the things that strikes me is the, the beauty of the expression that you find here. And that's before you even get to the, the wonder of the message. And it just reminds us really, you know, is there any book in the world which reads so wonderfully as the Word of God? And it has a beauty and a glory which makes all other books really pale into insignificance. And its thoughts are sublime. Its ideas are heavenly. Its truth, powerful. Its arguments, convincing. It is indeed a life-changing book because it's God's book. It is his word. And as beautiful as the words are in our text, we must not fail to ask, what do they mean? What do they mean? What do they challenge us with? What is the message that we find here? What has God got to say to us in these words? Well, in this chapter, amongst many other things, we have wonderful pictures of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you read through the Old Testament, you find that the gospel is set before us in many wonderful ways and, and types and shadows and pictures full of Christ. The New Testament declares the gospel in much a plainer language in a sense. It is rich in its doctrine and its direct teaching. But both the Old Testament and the New Testament, they have this, this clear and consistent message. The same truth. God is telling us how we as sinners can be right with him about the, the power of the gospel, the, the influence of the gospel upon the lives of men and women and communities, and sometimes, even if it pleases him, on nations. And so I'd like for us really to look at some of the pictures that we find here. And the first one is very obvious, and it's in verses 1 to 7, and it's the picture really of a spiritual springtime. And it says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. And so it goes on. The waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool. The thirsty land springs of water. And you say, well, this is wonderful imagery. And it speaks of God intervening and bringing life in a wilderness to bring about a, a great change. And the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is talking here about a, a spiritual or a supernatural springtime. You know, there is no leaf, there's no flower, there's, there's no fruit. And then when the season changes, there's a great transformation and all of a sudden leaves grow. The flowers flourish, fruit begins to appear in due course. The whole of nature becomes beautified. You have the, the richness of springtime and of the season. And really what that alludes to and points us to is this wonderful picture spiritually. You know, you think even in the deserts, you know, think of like the Sahara, seemingly nothing but vast expanses of sun. But then rains come and there is a transformation and seeds of very beautiful desert flowers hidden from sight in the sun. And all of a sudden, when the, the rains fall in a very short time, the seed comes to fruition, and there's a beautiful array of flowers in, in so many colors. It's wonderful to see. And that's what Isaiah pictures. The wilderness and the wasteland transformed and blossoming and rejoicing. 
And he is talking here about a, a miraculous springtime. It's what happens with the gospel. We have an amazing picture of how the word of God changes the lives of men and women. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Those who are in the wilderness, as it were. And they are brought to life and given life. You know, it beautifies people's lives when they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It transforms families. It gives reformation and new glory to communities. Whenever the gospel reaches a human heart or human life and and touches the inner springs of people's consciences, it brings this amazing transformation. We've said many times recently that there is no conversion without transformation. When a person is brought and saved by the grace of God, when, when God intervenes, they are never the same. And though that that transformation, of course, is an ongoing work, we know that there is this new birth. There is new life. Something wholly different has taken place. God has broken in. And that's what we see in these lovely pictures. When we see a person converted to Christ, we see that miracle of grace, that transformation of the individual. But, you know, in his purposes, the Lord can also bring such blessing to a church or community where there is a a spiritual refreshing, where there is life springing forth in the desert, what seemed to be barren land, God is able to bring great fruit from. And friends, in this day, we must not forget that our God is able to do mighty things. We need in these days to have a right view of God, a biblical view of God, a large view of our God. That this God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. And that gives us great hope. It gives us hope for those on our hearts that we think are far, far from the Lord. It gives us hope for the community in which we live. We think of the many around us have no thought of God. And yet we know God is able to break into such lives. Reading recently about the move of God in 1858, 1859. And America was suffering in deep depression, really, many financial and social troubles. And uh, that was certainly true in New York. And uh, there was one minister in the heart of it all. He was called Jeremiah Lampier. And he had a deep concern for the souls of the people around where he was in the city. And uh, he was moved to put a notice on the railings outside the church where he was minister And he invited people to a noon prayer meeting the following day. Well, on that Monday, six people turned up and prayed for the blessing of God to come down. Tuesday, there were around 12. Wednesday, it grew to over 20, and it continued to grow. In fact, my dear friends, in a matter of months, so many people of the city of New York were concerned to be going to this prayer meeting and similar prayer meetings all over the city and in the churches that they had to close down the businesses and the shops at four o'clock every afternoon to allow the crowds to go and seek the Lord in the various churches. And they were seeking the Lord and praying that he would move and that he would come, that he would bless upon the city, upon the pulpits in the churches, upon their families. Praying, you know, for parents, children praying for parents, parents praying for children, that they would come to faith in Christ. And God, in his kindness, heard their prayers. And in the course 
Of the next number of months, there was tremendous blessing attended to the preaching of the word of God. And as the ordinary means continued, there was a greater depth and experience in the, the realization of the presence of God. And over those next two years, you know, around a million souls, they think, were brought to faith in Christ. It's wonderful. And the blessing didn't stop there. You know, the blessing that was there in New York took a few months and it arrived in Britain, came over in 1859 in Northern Ireland. And a phenomenal, wonderful act of God called the, the Great Ulster Revival of that period. Many outstanding preachers will be preaching to crowds of thousands of people, even in the open air, as well as in buildings. Spread to Scotland and Wales and part of England. Great blessing. New prayer meetings springing to life. New churches planted, coming out of nowhere. God at work. And you know, even here in Penzance at that time and afterwards, it was estimated that one person in every eight, one person in every eight in the population of this town was coming to the Baptist church here. And that is without mentioning what was happening elsewhere. It was a remarkable time. And you know, the lovely picture here in Isaiah, it speaks of this type of blessing. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. And you know, when God works, people are brought to see the Lord Jesus Christ. They're brought to long for the truth of the word. They're taken up with the things of eternity. The ordinary means have a deeper and a more profound impact. And the people see the wonders of what the Bible reveals in the richness of gospel truth. And there is life, life from the wilderness. That is what God is able to do. Supernatural spring, as it were, supernatural life that is given. And that leads us on really to the next picture of the gospel, verses 5 to 6, which speaks of a, a spiritual healing, as it were. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. Now the picture here is slightly different from the idea of spring. Instead we have this supernatural healing which takes place. The eyes of the blind open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame leaping, the mute singing. And again we're brought to consider the impact of the gospel. And here it is specifically on the individual. You know, if you think back to when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth and the accounts that we have in the Gospels, we know that there were many occasions when our Lord healed the blind, sometimes with a touch, sometimes with a word, or there were times when he made clay and put it on their eyes and told them to go and wash, or how he gave the deaf their hearing or caused the lame to walk or gave speech to the mute. You know, that was literally the case and it was also there in the apostolic ministry with the establishing of the church. We looked at one of those incidents recently with Peter and John. And these miracles that Christ did and which were done through the apostles were signs of the power and the truth and the reality and the authenticity of the gospel. And they were signs that the, the gospel of Christ is the very truth of God and these supernatural signs were the proof and the evidence of it. But what we see is that these things also picture the spiritual healing of the gospel. 
the healing of the soul of the heart. That's particularly what Christ does in the case of those who are spiritually blind. He opens their eyes to see, and they see in the Bible things that they never imagined were there. He opens our ears, our ears are unstopped, and we, we hear the powerful word of God, and all of a sudden, it becomes personal to us. We see its relevance to us. We run after the things of God. We sing his praises. You know, when God works on the sinner, they're transformed. They are brought to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, no obstacle will prevent such a one from pursuing the word, will stop him from going to the Lord in prayer. He'll find a way to get to the means of grace. Many difficulties at home, maybe in his private life, many obstacles. But like a deer is able to leap over them all by the grace of God, God helps such a one. Because they long for the Lord. They long to be about the things of God, the things of eternity, the power of the gospel to transform the inner heart and soul and life of the individual. You know, think of Paul. You know, Paul hated Christ. He hated Christians. He hated the church. He had no desire at all to be a follower of Jesus. And yet the Lord intervened. And on that road to persecute the Lord's people, to destroy the church, the glory of Christ confronted him. And his entire life was changed. His eyes were opened, his ears unstopped. He, he cried out, who are you, Lord? He was a new man, transformed by the power of God. That's what Isaiah is talking about. The supernatural power of God to heal, to transform the sinner, to spiritually transform the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So my friends, I hope that you see that this gospel is a wonderful thing. It's not just, you know, a set of things to try and take up. It is the power of God at work in people's lives. And so let me ask you, have you personally known that? Have you come to see the glory of Christ for yourself? Or is it just something that you, you know, read about in the Bible? Or maybe you've heard other people talk about it, but you've never known it for yourself. Well, let me say to you, it is possible for you to know God. It is possible for you to know him not only as well as you know your friends, but better. It is possible to know God as the closest friend in the world, to know him and to desire his company more than anything else. It is possible to have that, but there has to be this inward work, this inward healing of the soul. And it comes through being born again, transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. And when that happens, the eyes of the blind are open, the ears of the deaf, are unstopped and they hear that joyful sound that Jesus saves. Transformation. It's what we long to see in these days. You know, we long to see those who come to Christ and they come because they are led by that grace and transformed. And then the final picture tonight, the way of the gospel. Spend a little bit more time on this one. Verses 8 to 10. A highway shall there be and a road. And here is another picture of the gospel. You know, we find this imagery often in the New Testament. That's why we read John 14, verse 6, that wonderful verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what we find here is that consistency again. 
And we see it here in Isaiah. We have a reference to the way of the gospel. The way of God. The way of salvation. The way of faith. The way to heaven. You know, you probably know that the early Christians in Acts onwards were called the people of the way. There are many references in Acts to that. They knew that they were strangers and pilgrims in this world, that they were citizens of another land. They, they didn't belong here anymore. They were hated by their fellow countrymen and others. They were persecuted and imprisoned and killed, opposed by the whole world. But they were pilgrims on this way. The king's highway, the royal road that leads to God and to glory. And we've seen, even in these verses, that the gospel brings life in the wilderness. It brings healing to the soul, and it gives the way to life and to God. Life is a journey. You know, we go through this world until we face the end of that which is death. Let me be very clear. Life is not a cycle. You'll get many religions that tell you that it is but there are no reincarnations. There are no do-overs. Life is a journey. We begin, we continue, and there is an end. And at that end, there is eternity, and either heaven or hell. And that's why life is intentionally serious. And that is why wherever the gospel has a real impact, wherever the truth of the Bible is proclaimed and heeded, there is a seriousness and a serious attitude to life. It makes us realize that we don't have time to lose. We only have a, a very short time to ensure that we are on that right way, that we are on that right path. The Lord Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that there is a broad road which leads to destruction and there is a narrow way which leads to life. Many are on that broad road, but few find the way to life. And even here tonight, you know, we're not all on the same road. You know, there may be some here tonight who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the defining factor. And it is a description that we have before us here in Isaiah 35. The way of the gospel. And I want you to see some of the characteristics of that way that Isaiah highlights for us. And I want you to see that this way in verse 8, this way of the gospel is a way of holiness. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. There is a major problem in churches today and in preaching today, even in pulpits. There are so many who just want to turn the gospel into a way of happiness. Now, there is great joy in following the Lord. We'll come to that in a little while. But it's not where we must begin you know, think of when Peter was preaching in the, the fullness of the Spirit at Pentecost. Great crowds gathered to listen to him. And he didn't say like many modern preachers, come to Jesus, you know, and have a prosperous life and a full life. He didn't begin there. What did he say? He said, repent and believe. He even said, you have crucified the Son of God. He had to declare the truth which cut men to the heart. And it brought sorrow, not elation. There was conviction. In Acts 2.38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He told them that their first duty was to recognize, in other words, that the Christian way is a way of holiness. A turning from sin, a turning to God. 
a turning to pursue those things of God. And that's why so much of the current Christianity is, is almost counterfeit, as it were. It doesn't lead to the fruits of a holy life. There's no transformation. There's, there's an ongoing with the world. They're taken up with the world. The sinner must be told that he is required, first of all, to pursue that, that holiness, to pursue God. It happens through the new birth. We, we must be born again. You know, you think of the new birth, sprinkling of the blood of Christ upon our souls. John 3 says, born of water and of the Spirit. Cleansing is what is under the symbol of the water. We need to have our hearts sprinkled and cleansed and washed from our natural defilement, the way of holiness. You know, justification is to put us right in the sight of God. Sanctification is to deepen the progression of holiness in our lives. God wants us to be made like his son. And Jesus was perfect. He was holy. And therefore, we are to be made a holy people. Now, that work will not be completed until glory. But we are being transformed day by day. Of course, the righteousness of Christ is all our hope and is given to us. But we are being transformed. And it's interesting, 1 Timothy 6.3, it calls the word of God the doctrine which accords with holiness. It is to make us God-fearing, God-honoring. Those who live in the light of God and of his judgment. Those who love Christ. Those who choose his ways. Those who love his word and love his laws, love his commandments. That's where Isaiah begins. What did Jesus say in that chapter that we read in John 14? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The way of holiness. You see, true conversion brings transformation. The gospel does not leave us where we are, but it begins that work in us. We are made new and we were brought on the way of holiness. And also see in verse 8 that the gospel is also the way of certainty. Verse 8, whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. The way of the gospel is a way of certainty, holiness and certainty. He speaks of those who are not believers and know nothing of the scriptures, who do not believe in the word, and they live their lives by making the best, by guessing and not knowing. There's no certainty about their lives. They live in the dark. You look at people all around us. You know, they're, they're trying to find their way through. They don't know where they're going. They're trying to make the best of life. And they're blind to the terrors of what is beyond the grave for the unbelieving person. And tragically, their lives are lived without any reference to God or to his commandments or to his judgments or the seriousness of, of what happened in the death of Christ and the, the centrality of the cross. How different for the believer. It is a secure life. It is a life with confidence, not in ourselves, but in the Savior. It is a life of, of certainty of the future. We know that by God's grace, we have been put on that right path. And as we saw this morning, we know where we're going. We know what the outcome is. And even though our, our path, as it were, in this life, even though we go through peaks and troughs and mountaintops and valleys, we are still heading in the right direction. And we are still being brought home to Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed. 
And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's the Christian's testimony. He knows that God is for him. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He knows that the Bible is the source of all true light and knowledge. And so if he he wants guidance, the Christian doesn't go anywhere else. He goes to the word of God. He goes to the Lord. And that word which is sharper than any two-edged sword. He comes to the word because the word is the powerful and inerrant word of God. And that's what Isaiah means. We were fools. Yet in Christ, we are brought to be on a path of certainty. And we are kept on the right path by the grace of God. And though stumbling at times, we are led on in the right direction. And in the end, we are brought to the place where we are sure to find God in heaven eternally to be with Christ. It's the way of certainty. And that's the great comfort that every Christian has. The world doesn't have it. You know, if you're not a believer tonight, I want to be so clear with you that there is no need for you to live your life in that darkness. There is no need for you to go on in uncertainty or fear anymore. It's the greatest possible foolishness to try to work out how to live in this world on your own. The Word of God makes it clear this is the way. The way of certainty, the way of life, it is a narrow way. It is to believe what God himself has said so wonderfully and so kindly in his word. And so you receive this message as a wayfaring man who will not err because when he goes to the right or to the left, he hears God's voice in his conscience and in the truth saying to him, Isaiah 30 verse 21, it's a wonderful verse, this is the way, walk in it. The Christian is able to walk in the path of certainty because God has saved him and will keep him and will bring him through this sin-sick, difficult world. It is a way of certainty. It's a way of safety. Look at verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And you might think, well, that's a very strange thing. Because, really, if you were to look at it, no religion seems to be more dangerous than true Christianity. You know, even our Savior himself was crucified on the cross. You think of all the apostles, you know, as far as we know, martyred, put to death for their faith. Thousands and thousands of Christians have died over the centuries since the days of Christ because they loved him and obeyed his word. Even this night, There are those who profess Christ in great danger all around this globe. She said, well, how can you say that following Christ, the gospel way, is a way of safety? What does that mean? Well, it's so clear, isn't it? It means your future is secure. It means that you are safe in Christ. That whatever this world, with all of its opposition, with all of its enmity, seeks to do to you, You are safe in him. And you will be brought home to everlasting safety, to heaven at last. The Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. 
It's having God in view. And the reason why the gospel is a way of safety is because it brings the soul and eventually the body of every believer into the glory at last. Indeed, everything about Christianity is safe. There aren't many roads of safety. There aren't many roads to God, as some say. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only way. Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you need to be clear, if we don't come to Christ, we will never know the way to God, never know the way to heaven. We shall not be on the way. Christ is everything. And that's why even from the very earliest age, we need to teach our little ones the way of safety in Christ. It's thinking very much of that verse, 2 Timothy 3.15. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so those of us who have responsibility of being parents or grandparents or uncles or aunties or whichever, do not hesitate to teach your children the word of God. Tell them the wonderful stories of Jesus and tell them over and over and over again until you know them like the back of your hand and they do too. Because the stories of the Bible are safe. The doctrines of the word of God are safe in a world that is unsafe. You know, there are people who tell us today, oh, well, you shouldn't speak about hell. You shouldn't speak about hell because it's a very unpleasant subject and it will upset people. It may well do, but if I love you, I will tell you the truth. Others say, well, you know, don't make too much about the new birth. Don't, don't emphasize the new birth. We have to say, you know, people don't like the subject. But, you know, the reality is we must. Jesus said, you must be born again. It's a work of God. Others say, well, you know, we mustn't say too much about the blood of Christ. No, dear friends, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross. These doctrines are essential. We must be born again, says Christ, otherwise we'll never know God. We have to be washed by the blood of Christ, otherwise we're still in our sins. We have to believe in the physical resurrection of Christ and a virgin birth, all these things. Essential, and they are the way of safety because they bring us to the truth of God, to God himself, through Jesus Christ. And then as I finish, this way is also a way of great blessing and happiness. Look at verse 10. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And although this gospel way, as we have been considering, the way of the true believer, it's a way of holiness, it's a way of certainty, it's a way of safety, it's also the way of great blessing and happiness. And when those who are on this way come to their journey's end, everything is going to be well with them. We looked at it this morning. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away and they shall obtain joy and gladness. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. And what indescribable joy shall all believers have when Christ appears on the clouds of heaven to call them home to himself. 
as he comes to raise them from the dead and to usher them into the presence of his own glory, what glory will burst upon their souls. Who can begin to fathom the everlasting joy upon their heads? And even though we know these things now only in a small measure, we shall shortly know them fully in a better world. And so that is why we're encouraged in verse 3 to lift up the hands which hang down and strengthen the feeble knees. In a little while that trumpet will sound and we shall bid farewell to all earthly cares and we shall begin a life of heavenly joy which no sin shall ever begin to spoil. Only, my friend, be sure. Be sure this night that you have made your peace with God. Be sure that you have repented that Christ is your Savior. Here are all these wonderful pictures to show you. Life in the wilderness, transformation of the grace of God, that supernatural healing to give eyes to see and ears to hear, to be placed on the way to God and to life in the gospel. And when you follow Christ, when you trust him, you can rest assured that God is yours for time and for eternity. And the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ, the power of God delivers you from sin, delivers you from the, the hopelessness and the lostness of this world, which characterizes every unconverted person's life. Come to Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've got that blessing. Do you know sin's forgiven? Do you know peace with God? Do you know that joy that you have been saved? Friends, you can, if this night you cast yourself entirely on this glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says to you, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. It's a wonderful thing. And we pray that these pictures of the gospel, which we have considered, might show themselves in your life. We rejoice, don't we, every time we hear of those who have been transformed by the grace of God and all of these things that we have been considering this night, we see them in reality. And we long to see it more and more. And may God indeed be gracious to you that it will be present in your life as well. Jesus Christ, he is the way. There is no other way. And I pray that you would be following him this night, through this life, and to the glory to come. Amen.